Time to travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Rakesh Raikar, recently appointed country manager for Cathay Pacific in South Africa. And he'll be telling us about his journey through the airline industry, which has been quite amazing, as well as about the new offerings from the airline. We'll be talking about responsible tourism again this evening and the 11th International Conference on Responsible Tourism in Destinations. My guest this evening is Professor Harold Goodwin. He's Professor of Responsible Tourism Management at Leeds Metropolitan University in the UK and was the founder of International Conferences on Responsible Tourism in Destinations in 2002. He's also a director of the International Centre for Responsible Tourism, which he also founded in 2002 and which promotes the principles of the Cape Town Declaration. And then for a truly South African festival, the inaugural Pinotage and Biltong Festival will be taking place on Saturday and I'll be speaking with one of the organisers, Kirby van Oort. And then Graham Howe, our intrepid traveller, is back again and he's going to be telling us this time about his star-studded trip to Los Angeles. And then, just like my Law Report and Health Matters programs, there's now a short list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. And you can also email me if you'd like those. It's the email address is travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Cathay Pacific Airlines recently appointed Rakesh Raikar as its country manager for South Africa and Indian Ocean. And with 22 years experience with the airline, he's very well placed to grow their presence here in South Africa. Rakesh joins me now. Rakesh, good evening. Welcome to the show. Oh, I think we've just lost Rakesh. Oh dear, we seem to be having a telephone issue tonight. We'll certainly be trying to get him back on the line in a moment, so if you would mind being patient for that. But while we're waiting, just let me tell you about some of those documents I mentioned that I have on the Facebook page, and which you could have as well if you like. The, the two most popular, and there's quite a few of them on there, but the two most popular things I have to give you on that list are the first one is 50 things to do in Cape Town for under 50 Rand and it's quite an amazing list of quite incredible things and you wouldn't have realized would cost you under 50 Rand. The other one that's quite popular is 1001 things to see and do on the west coast. So if you'd like those documents please do drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I'll send those to you and I'll also have one called more things to do in Cape Town, but those unfortunately are more than 50 Rand. But they're also some really fun things. They're relatively new things that have happened and that have been added to the list of things that we can do here. So if you'd like any of those, do drop me a line and um, I'll certainly send those to you. Some of the new things I'm going to hopefully be having on my show quite soon. There's a new thing that's been started about a year or so ago, and it's a craft beer tour would you believe around Cape Town but the nice thing about this tour it's not just taking you to all the craft breweries it also includes lots of other Cape Townian type destinations so you get quite a lot more for your buck if you like um, not just going off to the breweries but you get to see all sorts of other Cape Town destinations at the same time the other thing as well in the heart of the Constantia winelands it's a wine route in Constantia I know we always talk about Franschuk and Stellenbosch and all those sort of places but there's also a really nice wine route in Constantia which I'll tell you about again in one of the programs in the future. But what they've started there as well is one of these zipline tours where you go through the forest. There's beautiful forests there and wine farms, quite 
quite beautiful part of the world. And you can go and do zipline tours there, you know, in between your wine tasting. There's picnic spots, bry spots, lots of lovely things to do. So th- all those things are in the other list, more things to do in Cape Town. So if you'd like any of those, if you're coming down here on holiday or if you're a resident down here and you just haven't discovered these things yet, drop me a mail, travel at safm.co.za, and I'll send you all those documents and then you can go off and enjoy yourself. And um, coming up later in the show is going to be, I'm going to be talking about the Pinotage and Biltong Festival. Now that truly is South African festival because I'm sure as you know, Pinotage was developed here in South Africa. It was one of those things that was never available anywhere else in the world. We just, we developed it here and it's now doing really well internationally. So that's rather nice. Well, I think we have Rakesh on the line with us. And as I was saying, the Cathay Pacific Airlines recently appointed Rakesh Raikar as its country manager for South Africa and the Indian Ocean. And with 22 years experience with the airline, he's well placed to grow their presence here in South Africa. Rakesh, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pauline. Nice to have you on the show. First of all, I know it's been a few months now, but congratulations on your appointment. Thank you. How has it been making the relocation from India to South Africa? Was it quite difficult or was it relatively easy relocation for you? Two words, exciting change. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> now, your new appointment, now what role, what, what does your role require you to do as the new country manager here in South Africa? Because as I mentioned, I think one of the main things you're going to want to be doing here is to grow the presence of Cathay Pacific in South Africa. That's correct. Now, well, when you look at Cathay Pacific, uh, we firmly believe that it is our people who make the difference. And therefore, Cathay Pacific is people-centric. So the most important role for a country manager, mine, is to provide leadership, direction, and to create an enabling environment for our local teams to achieve uh, what, what we set out in terms of priorities, objectives, revenue, customer service, and everything. In fact, every facet of our operation. Now, I mentioned that you have 22 years' experience with Cathay Pacific, and just going through your CV, if you like, you, you've worked in quite a number of different departments, so you've got a very good overview of what what it takes to run an organization like this. Yeah, I'm fortunate, and Cathay Pacific believes in its people, as I said, and I'm fortunate to have many opportunities working in different departments. The only department I've not worked for is finance, but everything else I have done, and therefore, one thing that, that I've learned through, uh, through so many years is there's always a common denominator, and that common denominator starts with the word common. It's called common sense. If you use it well, I think you can do any job. Sometimes even without knowing the job, you're fine. And that's what Cathay enables and offers you the option to, and gives you the freedom to do your best. The one thing I found very interesting having a look at Cathay Pacific's website is people think Cathay Pacific is just an airline. It's more than just an airline because you offer all sorts of things, almost add-on bonus things to to the, your customers rather than just being able to book an airline ticket. You're right, absolutely. And there's a philosophy we stand by in Cathay Pacific. We call it life uh, well-traveled because what we feel in Cathay Pacific and we believe in that Traveling well is an important part of living well, and that's why it's important that we continue to try to enhance our overall experience for passengers, because we believe that passengers, when they travel well, their trips become memorable, more meaningful, and rewarding. And in fact, this philosophy of ours has been at the heart of, of everything that we do for almost 70 years. Wow. Something that also helps our own staff it drives our staff, our people, to deliver that, that better experience. 
Now you talk about tra- your, you, you want your, your people or your customers to travel well, and they're certainly going to be doing that in the new business class. I was looking at some information on the website about the new business class, and gosh, it really I'm surprised people actually want to get off the plane when you land. It looks so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great product. Um, we, we're proud of it. In fact, I can take my own experience. I'm all six feet three wow, okay. inches. And I can lie flat on that bed comfortably. Sure. <laughs> That's amazing. And not only lie flat, I have a habit of tossing and turning. <laughs> and when I do that, there's enough width for me to bend my knees and sleep on my side as well. So it's that cleverly designed product that we have on our flight that we're operating out of Joba. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic product. I was looking, they had some pictures on the website, and you can actually see how, how amazing that actually does look. Um, the other thing, I mean, as well, the entertainment offering on, on Cathay Pacific is quite incredible. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? How would you uh, like 100 movies oh. as a choice to select your <laughs> movies from? 500 TV shows, 888 music series, 22 radio channels, 70 games, and all in 10 languages whichever the customer is most convenient and most comfortable to use. What would you say to that? Well, like I said, I'm not getting off the plane at this point. <laughs> I'm staying on board. I wouldn't be able to have time to get through all 100 on my flight, so <laughs> I'd have to just stick around for a little bit longer. But, I mean, this yeah. is absolutely and incredible. Add a bit more. In fact, uh, uh, our service style, uh, that actually differentiates us. Mm. As I always said, I mean, it's the people that make a difference, and therefore the intuitive service. I remember on my – I had a very long and tiring day in Hong Kong, and then I got on this flight, our own flight, Caribou 6 from Hong Kong into Joba, departs at uh, uh, close to midnight from Hong Kong. I was dead tired. I dozed off while the, uh, while the flight was taking off. And you know what? When I woke up, the crew had got the bed flattened, which means I was sleeping, I was lying flat, and I had a blanket on me. And she didn't wake me up. <laughs> That's amazing. She knew at that time sleep was the most important thing that I needed. That's incredible. Exactly. Gosh, I mean, so it's it's definitely sounds like the way to go. It's definitely fly here. I mean, as I said, it's it's almost like a holiday before you even get to your destination. Exactly. You said it, Karen. So it's, it's a holiday on the on the plane. I mean, that's amazing. And how and we call it a lifestyle choice. Yes. It sounds like it, gosh. And <laughs> how do you find the South African public? I mean, you say you fly out of Johannesburg. Do you have any flights leaving from Cape Town, or do we all have to get to Joburg to take a Cathay Pacific flight? No, we fly from uh, Joburg, but we are well connected in terms of interline agreements with other airlines. So if any passenger wants to take a flight off Cape Town, uh, they have to get on another airline, but we seamlessly transfer them through on our airline, and then they can get onto Hong Kong. Gosh, so this sounds like the way to go. And if anyone wants more information, there's a lot of information on the website. I will give out the address in a moment. But people can have these pictures of this bed. But you'll actually want to get on the plane just to go and sleep on it because it looks really comfortable. Uh, Rukesh, I really wish you much success with your career here in South Africa. I hope you enjoy our, your stay in our country. I hope you'll be here for many years. And uh, good luck with your, your new position. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you very much, Karen, for having me on the show. Only a pleasure. Good night to you. Rakesh Rakai is the country manager for South Africa and Indian Ocean for Cathay Pacific. And for more information and to have a look at some of those pictures, like I mentioned about that sleep flat bed, looks absolutely amazing. You can take a look at the website. It's CathayPacific.com. Time to travel with Karen Key.
The 11th International Conference on Responsible Tourism in Destinations took place at the Cape Town International Convention Centre yesterday and today. Professor Harold Goodwin is Professor of Responsible Tourism Management at Leeds Metropolitan University in the UK and was the founder of International Conferences on Responsible Tourism in Destinations in 2002. He's also a director of the International Centre for Responsible Tourism, which we also founded in 2002 and which promotes the principles of the Cape Town Declaration and he joins me now. Professor Goodwin, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good evening to you. This responsible tourism in destinations, I spoke a little bit about it on the show last week, but if you can just give us an overall idea, because you lecture in this, what are you teaching your students about responsible tourism? Really two things. One is about the quality of the experience for the consumer in the sense that people want more and more um, authentic experiences. It's no longer enough, I think, for a hotel just to offer a really good bar and a swimming pool, which is where we were 25 years ago. People are now looking for experiences, and South Africa has some great experiences for people, particularly in in people-to-people exchanges. But the second part of it is about, very closely related to that, is the idea of using tourism to make better places for people to live in, because great places for people to live in are great places to visit. That's what I think really attracts me to the whole idea of responsible tourism is that the tagline is making better places for people to live in and better places for people to visit. And, I and think, it's very important to get it in that order. Yes. So you have to make the place better for people to live in before the tourists come. Yes, because then everybody has a great time. Now, many years ago, I mean, this was never even considered. It was never thought, well, you know, we have to do one and then the other will follow almost. It was always a case of, well, let's just promote the destination for the visitors. We never really worried about the people that were living at the destination. That's absolutely right. And and I think that's why some destinations have gone very badly wrong. Now, how, you know, the whole thing about responsible tourism is you're actually trying to minimize negative impacts, things like environmental and social and cultural and those sort of impacts that could be negative in a destination. And it, it really makes people think more. I think that it opens people's minds, I think, which is really what, what I really like about it. Yeah, but that is absolutely right. You, you've got that spot on. But the other side of it is, it is about minimising the negative, but the other side is that it's about enhancing the positive. So trying to find ways in which people can have more experience, get, engage with people. When we first started the campaign, one of the questions we asked in the first campaign leaflet was, you were, we said you were promised that you'd meet local people. Did you actually meet anybody but the barman and the woman yes. who changed the sheets <laughs> in your room? Because the truth was, most of the time, that's, you don't. And, and people are not happy with that anymore. It seems to mm. me that all kinds of travellers, all kinds of demographics, all kinds of nationalities, are actually wanting that engagement with another human being. And when we come back from a trip, we often, I think about the stories I tell, they're always, always about people I've met. They're not about the view from Table Mountain or the view from the Great Wall in China might be about somebody I met on Table Mountain or the experience of being with someone on on the Great Wall in China, but it's people we talk about. We have quite a number of tour operators here in Cape Town who their their main focus, well, their entire focus, is on this cultural experience, this this real experience of what life is like and what people are like. And you don't just get to see... The, you know, the pretty bits, you get to see what life is like here in Cape Town, which I think, and it's, that's been around for quite a few years here, which I think is really great. It is, but what I would say is it's still perfectly possible with some operators to arrive in Cape Town and find it very difficult to access it. 
I don't know how you personally feel about District 6 or indeed how your, um, your listeners do, but I was just talking today with a really experienced guy who's out for the conference, been around travelling tourism for 20 years, um, been to Cape Town before, never heard of District 6. That's actually. I think that's a bit of a disappointment. That's a huge disappointment because it's something that, I mean, I promote it quite strongly on the show. Um, I'm we ha- sure you we, do, we do yeah. all sorts of things and I encourage people. We go and we do these cooking days out in District 6. They have these things we can go out there and, and actually go into somebody's home and they will teach you to cook and you have dinner or lunch or whatever it is with them. I mean, it's just the most amazing experience. And it's so I sad. I said in the conference the other day, yesterday, in fact, that I've had some of the very best tourism experiences of my life in Cape Town. Mm. I am not knocking the product. No, absolutely. But what what is disappointing for me is how many visitors to Cape Town and indeed how many people in the industry from abroad still don't find those things. And that's the disappointment. So, so for me, responsible tourism is often about taking the very best of a destination and trying to get more people to have that experience. Yeah, that is. I'm actually, I'm actually quite shocked that it's it's something that is. I, I honestly thought it was one of those destinations in the city that would be very well known because it's is promoted so heavily here. Possibly not promoted heavily enough to international and visitors that are coming into the city. But just get the full enormity of what I'm saying to you. These are people who've been here. Yes. On fan trips, presumably, mm. who have not come across District Six. I, I'm almost at the point now where I want to go and stand at the airport and tell people when they get off the plane, you know, you need to see this, that, and the next thing to actually have the full experience. You see, I think if District 6 was in New York, it would be in their top 20. Yes. That, well, that's really, I think all those people listening, I'm sure it's giving them all something to think about now because that is, I'm sure, not the only destination in the country or in the city that has the same problem. One of the best, I'll tell you about one of the best experiences. I went with Coffee Bean Tours yes. on their jazz experience. They were the ones I was talking that about was earlier. completely mm. unforgettable. That is one of those top ten in my life experiences. Mm. And Cape Town has that to offer. And we just need to see Cape Town selling more of that. Now, they also do a District 6 tour, as far as I know. Yes, I'm sure they do. They do, I, yes. Yeah, they, yeah. Are, they are the company I was actually talking about earlier, because I know that they do some incredible yeah. um, tours. But they're the real genuine thing, where you get to meet the real people. And, yeah. and that is what is, you know, we've noticed that, with, you know, I've spoken to a number of people coming in, talking about coming into the city, and that's what they talk about. They want that real experience. They don't want, as you say, look at Table Mountain and whatever, you know, but go to the wine pe- farms. People really want authentic experience and those memorable things to go back and tell their friends about. And, you know, to be honest, the wine routes were, were great 20 years ago, yes. but, yeah. but everybody's got wine routes these days. They've all done I it could now. even do one in Kent in England, you know, <laughs> climate change means we've now got, got wine routes. So, you know, it was really special and I'm not knocking it, but the trouble is the market moves so quickly. Mm. But you need to be reinventing your product the whole time. Now, that's actually quite sad, though, because, I mean, there was the Cape Town Declaration in 2002 um, and the International Conferences on Responsible Tourism in Destinations back then already. So we're talking 12, 13 years ago. And, years, you yeah. know, we should have kind of got the story by now. And it's almost like we haven't quite got there yet. How much longer do you think it's going to take us to get there? Um, well, let's, let's just be very fair. Some people have got it. Yeah, it's a matter of where the bulk of the industry is, mm. and that's, that's the problem. I think you, you've got to... I suppose the other truth about tourism to Cape Town is you've had nearly all the big international events now, all of which have spread the word about Cape Town and brought lots of visitors. The bed occupancy rates have been very good, but you've kind of run out of those big events, haven't you? Pretty so much, yeah. 
in a sense, you have to now improve the quality of the experience and extend length of stay because I see people, I've had friends book tours of Africa, South Africa, and they spend two days in Cape Town. And I think, my goodness, surely the city's worth more than that. Absolutely. It is to me. I've been, I think I've been 24 times there. Oh, well, you're very and welcome. I still never had time to go up table mountain. Oh, my goodness, really? That's awful. You must at least do that. It is still something that you to, need I to promise. do. One time soon, I will do it. The other thing, uh, Professor Goodwin, that, that I think we still it's still a challenge for us here in South Africa, and I know in Cape Town it is, and I'm sure in the rest of the country it's a similar situation, is that there's still not enough accessibility for people with disabilities, and that is something we still I, have I to agree. work on. With That's that. a problem all over the world, to be mm. honest. Um, but, but, you know, if you, it, in fairness, I mean, there isn't enough. There isn't enough anywhere, but in South Africa, at least you're making the effort. There's lots of places where it's not happening. Um, but but a lot has been done here, I think. I think we still have a long way to go, unfortunately. Yeah, you do, absolutely. We have a long way. At least yeah. we are starting to make inroads into that particular yeah. situation. The one point I was actually looking at that that is is really for me the ultimate thing. It said one of the um, things that you need to do for to have really good responsible tourism is that it has to be culturally sensitive and engenders respect between the tourists and yes, the hosts. Absolutely. Respect mm. is the fundamental value of responsible tourism. Yes. And that's between the tourists and the hosts. So it comes from both sides. Both sides, absolutely. Because what you're trying to do is to get a host-guest relationship. I mean, the academics always talk about that as though it happens, but really it's an aspiration, and it's the attempt to make that reality. If you think about the, the really best experiences of, a, say, a French restaurant, when you're there amongst the French, that's a very much that kind of equal relationship between the host and the guest. The waiter is not looked down on in a, in a French restaurant. So we're looking at this, you know, people listening to this think we're just talking about us as the hosts for people coming in. But we have to look at ourselves as the tourist as well when we go anywhere. And it works both ways. Yes, and you have to accept that being a host, if you think about being a host at home, if you have a dinner party, mm. being a host is about the people you've invited into your home accepting your rules. Right. And that's what the word host means. It's not what is often meant in the, in the hotel industry. No. And we all, we always say, I think when the World Cup was, was on, we were talking about everybody had to be a host. We were, we were actually the hosts of the World Cup, for example, when the Soccer World Cup was on. Yeah. And we were trying to sort of encourage our, our people, basically, to say, you know, you are all hosts in this country for all those people coming into the country. And we need to just keep that up. Yes, you do. But you also need to expect the guests to behave well yes. when they've been invited into someone else's country we do and i think as as i said it's, it's a two-way street here and sometimes you know absolutely it doesn't always work but it's something we need to strive for but do you and you have hopes though you, you look it's going better and better and we go we're getting there and we're moving forward I, I, and we i think the new minister has made an enormous difference to the implementation when i first did work in south africa back in 2000 all the tour operators and the hoteliers were saying well the policy will soon change but the reality is that the 1996 white paper is still the official government policy. And I think we now have a minister who's going to push very hard for the employment creation and the responsibility in that founding document from just after the end of apartheid in 96. 
Well, it sounds promising. I'm very optimistic oh. about the future. Well, that's great to hear. It's always nice to have a, a, an optimistic view, and I really do appreciate that. Professor Goodwin, I'm really thank you very much for joining me this evening and for your time. I know you're very busy your short time that you're here in Cape Town, and enjoy the rest of your stay, and hopefully we'll see you back soon up Table Mountain. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Good night to you. Professor Harold Goodwin is Professor of Responsible Tourism Management at Leeds Metropolitan University in the UK, and he was the founder of International Conferences on Responsible Tourism in Destinations. That was back in 2002. He's also a director of the International Centre for Responsible Tourism, which he also founded in 2002, and which promotes the principles of the Cape Town Declaration. For more information on the International Centre for Responsible Tourism, you can take a look at the website. It's icrtourism.org. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, it couldn't be a more South African festival if it tried. The inaugural Pinotage and Bultong Festival is set to take place this Saturday at Lavanier Wine Estate in Stellenbosch. And you can join 14 of South Africa's best Pinotage producers and Jaber and Monty famous Bultong for this truly South African event. Well, I'm joined now by one of the organisers, Kirby van Oort. Kirby, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Cora. Nice to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me and telling you that, I mean, this really, I mean, more South African than this, it couldn't possibly get. No, absolutely. People are talking about local is lacquer mm. and, um, you know, typically South African and that kind of thing. But I think what is quite interesting about this festival specifically is that we all have this idea that Pinotage is only red wine. Mm. And oh. one of the nice things that we've discovered with planning the festival is that Pinotage, actually, you get rosés. You get bubblies, you get sweet wines, you even get a white pinotage. Now, I was doing okay until you got the white pinotage. I've had all three of the others, but I haven't actually had the white pinotage. I didn't, I didn't know there was a white pinotage. Well, there is only one, and it's made by a tiny little boutique winery near Paul. Well, that's probably why I And don't the winery know is called Melasat. Okay. And they've got their white pinotage there. And then when we started planning the whole thing with these different pinotages, obviously I would say half of the wines you can taste on the day are red mm. or red blends. But we then started to think about what kind of biltong can we pair with these wines because it's very simple to say, you know, I've got a red pinotage and I therefore want a venison biltong, for example. But if you have, if you have, for example, a Chenin blend, which is predominantly Pinotage, but it's got Chenin in it, which is a white wine, what do you then pair when you have a Biltong? And that is then when we discover Jaber and Monty, who does a kind of spiced Biltongs. So we've got a lemon and herb Biltong, which goes brilliantly mm. with the white wine, etc., etc. They've got a, 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 I think it's called Irresistible Chili, Ooh, which awesome. blows your head off <laughs> and which goes... Which goes absolutely brilliantly with this incredibly sweet Jerepigo from Buttsburg Cellar, which is on the opposite side towards Worcester. Mm, that, that's in so, the, yeah, I know Buttsburg yeah, so very we really well. Yeah. ended up with really interesting Pinotage wines paired with really interesting flavours of Bolton. And I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the show, I was talking about when I was going to be chatting with you later, and I said, I'm not sure if everybody realizes that Pinotage is our very own. It's like Biltong and Rooibos tea. You know, it belongs to us. It was developed here, founded here. It wasn't something that came in from overseas. No, absolutely. 1925, and the guy's name was Professor Perrault, and he basically created this new great varietal which has now become kind of our, our wine anthem, if you want to Absolutely. call it that. Now, the day itself, Kirby, tell me about what's happening on, on Saturday. 
Um, we open at, the gates open at 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. and um, when you arrive, you will get your glass, which you can taste all the different pinotages with, and then also you get a little Biltong coupon booklet. So in truth, what you're doing is you're tasting two specific selected pinotages with a particular Biltong flavor, and you can then make up your own mind if this works for you. So in the end, you're going to have 14 biltong tastings and 14 wine tastings. Wow. But, but you do, for example, get a winery like Bayer's Kloof, which we all know, they're the Pinotage Kings. They obviously have four or five Pinotages, which they bring in. So you can taste all of their wines, but you, you have a particular Pinotage which is paired with a particular biltong that is part of your whole festival package. And the tickets are 150 rand per person. Children under 18 are free, but they don't get to drink because that's not allowed. Clearly, clearly. Yes. And I think, I think the whole thing that it's a family event, mm. Lavenier itself has got beautiful lawns and lovely shady trees and that type of thing. So we've kind of scattered little seating areas all around the trees and under the, under the trees and so on. So people will really just hang around, listen to the music, taste a bit of Biltong, eat something, watch their kids play, and, and really just have, it's, it's kind of the end of summer mm. in the Cape. So, and I see the weather is going to be quite nice, and it will just be one of those kind of last flings, you know, before we go into freezing cold, horrible, <laughs> let's not think about it. Winter, <laughs> I, I winter. like the winter, so I'm not going to go with you on that one. I enjoy the winter in Cape Town. I must be slightly crazy, but I do. And the other thing that I must just point out as well, that Lavinia Wine Estate is wheelchair-friendly, and it does offer disabled facilities, which is always very important for the listeners to know that. We, we had a few queries about that. Obviously, these kind of facilities are 100% due, 100% right. We also had some people who've asked, for example, whether they can be brought up close to the venue and then drop off um, people who, are, who have problems with uh, mobility, which is totally fine. We've organized that the parking attendants will, will allow those vehicles through, and then, you know, you can go and park your car and then bring it back close up again when people want to leave. But once you're in the venue, you'll be fine if it comes to wheelchair and, and mobility and that type of thing. Kubi, it sounds like an amazing thing. And I said it was the inaugural once. I'm looking very forward to many more of these. And uh, thank you so much for joining us and telling our, my listeners about this. And as I said, it sounds like it's going to be a fabulous day and something really, really unique and different and truly, truly South African. So thank you so much for your time on the show this evening. Wonderful, and we hope to see you in Gauteng soon as well, because the plan is to take it to Gauteng later this oh, year. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you so much, Kirby. Good night Thank to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Kirby van Oort is one of the organisers of the inaugural Pinotage and Bultong Festival. It's taking place this Saturday, the 18th of April, at Lavenier Wine Estate in Stellenbosch. Tickets are available. You need to book on plankton.mobi, and they cost 150 rand per person. Time to travel with Karen Key. Graham Howe's back with us. It's been a while since he's joined us in studio. The last time he was traipsing around America, I think the last time we spoke with him, all on Route 66 and all those wonderful, fabulous places. Well, he's been back to the States again, but this time he's been to Los Angeles. Um, Graham, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Karen. It's really good to be back here with you. And uh, yes, it's uh, it's been great. To, I've kind of been exploring the, the US and, you know, it's such a big, well, it's a continent, really. It's such a big country that I've been exploring it in, in different parts and, and have further plans, in fact. But this time was particularly exciting because I hadn't been over to the West Coast in something like 20 years. And I was invited to uh, do uh, Los Angeles during the uh, Oscars week. So um, the day we flew in, in fact, they'd had the Academy Awards the previous night. So 
it was just a, a great kind of pizzazz um, time to be in a, a star-struck uh, tinsel town like uh, Hollywood, and we stayed in West Hollywood. The problem about getting to Los Angeles, though, it's a very long way from here, from Cape Town. How, it, how did you get there? How long did it actually take you? It sure is. Well, Several things amazed me about the, the flight. One was that I could, in fact, anyone leaving from either Johannesburg or Cape Town can get to Los Angeles on the other side of the world in uh, two flights with one stopover in London. Long flights. Yes, though. two long flights of about uh, 11 hours or so. So it's really like sort of flying to Europe twice, I suppose, and then either perhaps stop over in London. I flew with um, British Airways um, on their new A380. In fact, they call it the red carpet uh, service from Johannesburg to, to London. London on the Airbus and then with, after about a five-hour break uh, in London, uh, during which I must say I, I was able to have a shower um, and a jet lag spa, which, is, which comes with part of this package, which is quite nice, in fact, if you can imagine a, a massage in the middle for sort of swollen feet and that kind of thing from, from travel, and then flew on again. But of course, you could stop over in London. So in fact, in real flying time, I was really in the air for about sort of 24 hours, um, and of course needed another massage oh, yes, in, in, in true Hollywood style on arrival. <laughs> And so I went to, to, to the, the, the hotel, Has a there was a spa they use around the corner um, where I immediately start celebrity uh, spotting, but in fact only saw the other other media uh, people. Now, when you, you said you went on the A380. Now, you mentioned the stopover in, in London yes. with the spa treatment and all the nice, fabulous things. But as an actual travel experience... They've been going on and on about this A380. Is it as fabulous as they say? I think it really is a new benchmark. It's it's a turning point in, in air travel. And I mean, I've been, as you know, um, yes. traveling. I think I've now traveled around the world according to my flight path on my British Airways um, frequency, a uh, frequent flyer uh, plan um, 24 times. And I do think it is. And, and the reason is that, you know, it's the only double-decker, wide-body, aircraft on both decks of its kind. So there is definitely um, a lot more space. The elimination of white noise, you know, that whoosh you get mm. on, on uh, aircraft is, is really significant. Uh, I've, I slept really well on the way there. In fact, I arrived feeling really more refreshed often than, than sort of going to work on a Monday morning back in <laughs> Cape Town. I think the other interesting thing is that apart from being the quietest aircraft I've ever flown on, is that the the world traveller or the economy uh, uh, category of, of seats on British Airways, they have this new sort of hammock-style headrest, um, extra padding, um, and a 31-degree seat pitch, which is sort of more. And so it just is more comfortable whether you're flying across the range from economy to business to first class. It really is a new generation flying experience. And in fact, even boarding it in that they have sky corridors leading to both the lower and the upper decks is a sort of more efficient process. Um, and in fact of interest is that Johannesburg, I think, was the second uh, destination in the world that they introduced the Airbus on about 18 months ago. And Los Angeles, which I flew to, was the first. In fact, the two newest destinations joining both Los Angeles, Hong Kong, and Singapore, and Washington, D.C., are San Francisco and Miami, which have come online um, between, I think, the end of March uh, this year and, and, and later in the year. So if so, you want to fly on the Airbus, you need to go to Johannesburg to get on. They don't fly to Cape Town. Absolutely. Okay. 
But you could also take, a, as I did on the way back, a direct flight from Cape Town to London to say flying through Johannesburg if you're based in Cape Town. But you would be on a traditional. You wouldn't be on the, the new yes. Airbus. Exactly, okay. and in fact, you can use then London as a hub to fly into some 18 American cities from the west coast to the Midwest to the east coast directly, and the Airbus would fly into several of those destinations, including Washington D.C., Miami, the new one, uh, San Francisco, and L.A. I've now used that Airbus to get into uh, Chicago, um, L.A., and um, also flew direct into Las Vegas via London. And, you know, the number of flights really is important because you're cutting down on the waiting time, and it kind of just cuts it right in the middle as well. Mm. Um, so uh, it's been a really good experience for me with good service, good good food and wine. Um, and, in fact, I was very amused that the, the first thing I was offered on arriving in L.A. and, and late that afternoon go, going through for my uh, spa was I was offered, uh, I think they called the tea uh, African Sunrise, and I immediately recognized it as Roybos African sunrise. in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I said, this isn't a sunrise, this is Roybos. I know this taste. And they're not allowed to call it Roybos, I don't think, over there, are they? Uh, there, was, there was a oh, whole big thing. There was a whole right. big thing at one yes, point about the naming rights. And, and they, yeah. they wanted exclusive trademark mm, on, right. on Roybos, which and I mean, we how said, no, sorry, you can't do that. You know, I mean, yes. really? No, no. So, but there is. I did have a, a very sunrise. nostalgic sense of drinking my uh, oh. sunrise rooibos. As long as they're using it and serving it there, that's fine. I don't care what they call yes, it. Just no, don't call true. it rooibos. Right. So you mentioned you arrived now, all rested and everything, yes. being pampered, and you got to Hollywood and off you went to um, the spa. What, yes. Where were you? Said you were staying at the London West Hollywood. Yes, it's a it's really gorgeous boutique hotel with, with, in fact, its own screening room. So they'd had <laughs> their own Oscar party there over the uh, weekend, and I, I had a look around to see if I could spot any celebrities but in true sort of um, Hollywood style because it's called the London outside I was so jet lagged I bent to pat one of these gorgeous looking bulldogs very brip that they had outside and then until one of the other members of our media group said it's plastic (laughs) (laughs) I thought this is an incredibly non-responsive dog I was checking it under the chin and in fact uh, even the elevators um, of the uh, London have men in bowler hats and and so you know it's it's, it was a great fun I think one of the nicest things I liked about it was the uh, on the they have a a top pool deck with amazing views of Hollywood and the Beverly Hills um, and all the way to the San Gabriel Mountains so in fact it was warm enough because I was there in early spring to kind of take a quick dip while looking up at the still snow-capped peaks of San Gabriel Mountains which surround LA and it also has a very good restaurant called the Boxwood Restaurant established by Gordon Ramsay when the hotel opened some three or four years ago, we uh, dined at the Boxwood. Uh, the chef there is Anthony Keane, who's quite well known. Um, and we dined on sort of delicious Californian cuisine, which is all around local seafood. Oh, nice. And and fruit and vegetables from California. So that was a good way to arrive. And in fact, um, talk about being in Hollywood. While sitting over dinner, I heard two distinctly South African accents on the table next to us. And they were arguing about some million dollar a Hollywood deal <laughs> with some star who wanted, I think, millions of dollars to appear in the role. And I thought, uh, looking up, I saw Neil Blomkamp's, because they're billboards all over mm. Hollywood. It really is, you know, and all, all over LA with new TV series starting. It really 
all centers on this great sort of movie-making myths of the city. And I saw Neil Blomkamp's uh, Chappie. You know, he also, uh, the South, young South African director who directed mm. District Nine. Nine, that's right, yes. And Elysium, and is now apparently negotiating on, on shooting a new epi- a new uh, alien uh, movie in that in that series. So really making a name mm. for himself. Um, so it's a great to see a South African footprint um, there. Rather nice. And as you mentioned, you, uh, being you with your impeccable timing, uh, pitched up at Oscar week. You didn't get one, I take it. No, I didn't. But you can actually buy Oscars. In fact, I should have got you one. There's even <laughs> one for best producer um, and uh, you're for best mum and best dad and best. And they sell these sort of these several inch high um, Oscars. But the big Oscars were still out. And in fact, oh, really? were, the cranes were removing some of them while we were there um, from outside the Kodak uh, Theatre, where they have the annual uh, Academy Award ceremony. And what, what is amazing to see is that they have, for every year, the, the movie that's won the best movie is up there going back to, I don't know, the 1940s. The, 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 well, on the, the outside of the theatre or where no, is or it? You walk through a sort of mall area oh, okay. and then there are these huge pillars uh, all in sort of, quite a sort of art deco feature set in glass with gold panelling. Um, but at the back, they've got empty ones going up to 2030. Oh, and they right. fill them in each year. <laughs> and I saw they hadn't filled in the 2015 slot yet so that was still to come okay so t- tell me a little bit more about this this hotel because it was it was literally right off sunset strip i mean this yes. is right in the heart of absolutely it was a Hollywood. block a block away mm. from 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 sunset boulevard what was your suite like it was just enormous i mean i, I actually <laughs> sort of got needed a gps to find my way out of the bathroom <laughs> yes i know it was really like and, and what, what really amazed me was it might sound like a strange thing but often one checks into these sort of i think it was perhaps 10 or 12 stories this hotel and i was on one of the upper uh, suites is the is the water pressure. I mean, it literally blasted me to the back of the shower when I got in. And that's great, because I can't tell you how many times mm. I've gone to a really super comfortable, and after a long flight, you know, you really need you a good a shower trickle. or a good soak, and you get a little trickle of water. And so this was great. I thought, this is real kind of American efficiency, and just all the sort of mod cons, and, and with gorgeous views from the balcony as well, um, over both Hollywood and Beverly uh, Hills. And it was around the corner from uh, places like, uh, well, in fact, a block away from Whiskey A Go-Go, one of the most okay. famous mm. music rooms and clubs in the world where the doors and the birds and uh, Mama Cat, Mama and the, the Mama and the Papas, they, they all used to perform there in the 60s. And then the Viper Room, which Johnny Depp oh, owned, where in mm. fact, and there's still a sort of shrine outside where um, River uh, Phoenix, River Phoenix died mm. in, in, in the club. Um, and then a huge mural of Humphrey Bogart along the, oh, really? along the side of the wall. So that was great, you know, because in the evening you could really take a sort of neon stroll and, and get a feel for um, for West Hollywood. Were you like many of the people that go to LA, where you go there with a the specific aim, well, not only that, but partly to go celebrity spotting? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did inside the hotel and, and other people were looking at me wondering who I might yeah. be, you know, so... <laughs> Believe it or not. You're our very own um, celebrity. <laughs> so, um, but we did um, have lunch at um, a, in, in the L.A. style at a super healthy restaurant. It's very much a body beautiful culture and called Gracias Madre, which means um, thank you, mum, in Hispanic. Uh, one of the trendiest spots on, on the famous Melrose uh, Boulevard. And a few tables away, we spotted quite a commotion. And in fact, while I was staring at a dish in front of this girl and uh, yes, thinking I would like one of those... And it turned out to be everyone else was looking that when I said 
to the waitress, I'll, I'll have what she's having. It turned out that the, 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 the lady in question was Beyonce and her partner, <laughs> uh, JC, and everyone else was staring. She was dressed in this very sexy sort of blue uh, gym top and everyone else, and apparently the, uh, the Twitter sphere immediately went crazy. And instead, so I said I was, I was looking at this uh, wonderful dish she was having and they specialize in over, I think, something like 120 uh, tequilas and mezcals, many of which are artisanal. Um, and it's very authentic Mexican food, but it's vegan Mexican. Um, so in the spirit of L.A., I enjoyed a, uh, a, I think it was called a green tropical smoothie, which was a drink of, of, of uh, spinach and avo and coconut milk, uh, lime, agave and ginger. And uh, when I was looking at the menu, all of which looked very tempting, um, the server said, oh, no, the prickly pear cactus is out of season. So I was going to have a prickly pear cactus uh, salad. Um, so I enjoyed massaged kale instead. Ma- hang on, wait, massaged kale? Massaged kale. I That's thought, like a lettuce LA, green Maybe it was at the spa thing. with me the night before. What, I don't know. What, what did they do to it? Why would curly, they massage it? Yes. It's, it's a curly, you know, uh, cabbage base, curly yeah. leaf cabbage. Um, and, I, and, and it was delicious, but I couldn't, um, I've, I have no idea whether people sit there rolling out leaf by leaf and, and tenderly massaging massaging it. But, you you know, it kind of anything goes in a town like L.A. And they also serve a lot of the food was really sort of in the in 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 uh, the comfort zone from sort of they would make the cheese from from cashews, for example, or the milk was almond milk um, that we had. And, and you could probably have robust there as well. And interesting, they, they also offered flights pairing tequila and what? and chocolate and flights food. Pairing. Flights pairing. What's that? A, a flight, a lineup of tequila from different vintage tequilas. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, so we would do a, uh, a pairing in, in uh, a food and wine in South Africa, typically, mm. which has become We call it a vertical tasting, yes, for example. A vertical flight, yeah, for, yes, yeah, or, okay. a, or a horizontal flight, yes. Okay. So they actually do a pairing of tequila or mezcal and okay. food. So we didn't do that because I was uh, on my bicycle as well. Oh, right. Chat but you, I, you also told me about something called coconut bacon. What on earth is coconut bacon? Bacon. There's either coconut or there's bacon. It's called well, coconut bacon because it was vegan. So you know, you often get uh, you'll get a vegetarian burger, and it's in the same sort of concept. Okay. So they had made it out. They had smoked with I think using a chipotle uh, chilies and peppers. They they had they had produced a very thinly sliced coconut and, and and then toasted it, and it really did have the texture of bacon with that sort of smoky uh, flavor. In fact, that's what I had, and it was it was uh, it was delicious with my fried Brussels sprouts and collie. Flour. You see, I was doing LA on a very healthy way, Karen, and keeping up with uh, with all the bodybuilders and tanned, you know, sort of the the, the bold and beautiful second. Seriously, LA. just weird. Um, did you did you dine anywhere else? I mean, the, this this was a what was this called? This was this called, called Gracias, Gracias Madre. Madre. Okay. I would recommend anyone goes. Then apparently Beyonce is known as the queen of vegan cuisine and is literally like a patron of the restaurant. Okay. So you know, the way to get that wonderful shape of hers might well be to eat to massage oh, your cow. To drink so. almond milk with your tea and coconut bacon, right? And w- did you go anywhere else? I mean, was this sort of food this the same at all these trendy LA restaurants? I mean, was it all this kind of well of out there stuff? Quite a lot of it, I suppose, was. Um, you know, lots of raw juice bars. You know, they're also a sort of traditional. We we went to a, a Jared Levy's restaurant called Everly on Sunset Boulevard, which is amazing because it's actually set in a log cabin on the middle of this sort of neon strip and with all these high rise buildings. There's this original log 
cabin built in the 1920s when it was an orchard suburb. So all of these were small holdings to, to downtown LA and they've kept this original log cabin. And there they really do focus on Californian cuisine, which is traditionally sort of fresh seasonal cuisine grown in the valleys and the fruit basket of, of LA. So typically, you know, wonderful artisanal breads, um, boutique local cheeses, charcuterie, um, wild salads. And, uh, also, for example, seafood from Monterey, like their local anchovies and oysters, scallops, salmon uh, from the Pacific coast. So really sort of healthy, but also very, very well prepared. Um, okay, that, that, and, that food yes. sort of sounds relatively normal. Did they massage anything there? Um, possibly the rabbit roulade, <laughs> which made me think of Who Killed Roger Rabbit, actually, the, another L.A. movie. And also you could get quail from the Devil's Gulch Ranch, which is a local organic. Uh, but again, the focus is very much an organic free range. I like, but I like the um, sound of what he does there. Yes. It sounds it, really nice. And, and, and it was really good. And, and he also massages his kale. Oh, so does that, he? So there must a be thing. a reason for it. Okay. Yes, yeah, it's obviously yeah. a thing. You better yeah. start finding out how to do that. Maybe it's easier than massaging a carrot or a butternut, well, the, I yes, suppose. No, I think so. But now you're being so terribly healthy. I'm assuming you didn't take any sort of gas-guzzling type transport around LA, or did you walk? What did you do? No, it's such a sort of, you know, urban LA is renowned for its urban sprawl, and it's really a whole series of districts um, like Hollywood or Beverly Hills or Rodeo Drive, uh, Santa Monica, um, held together by freeways. But within those districts, it's really great cycling territory. And what we did in this this new um, healthy sort of tourism um, way was we, we, with a group called Bikes and Hikes, who are one of the main ecotourism operators in, in LA. And you can either rent a bicycle you know, just for one for the day or for, for a few days. Or you can book with a group and go out with one of their literally sort of personal trainers and guides, which is what we did with a wonderful guide called Eric uh, Boom Boom Martinez. <laughs> and Boom Boom, because every time we climbed another hill on these sort of 27-speed bicycles, he would get down and punch the ground or the area and say, good going, guys, boom, boom, good going, you know. So I, I got to know him as Eric Boom Boom. And he was really, really, and he just couldn't have been nicer. Of course, he was sort of super fit and, and had to wait for us to catch up with him. We did a tour of Beverly Hills, setting off literally from our, our hotel. And people's star maps are very popular. Yes, I've in, heard about in, those. In yeah. LA. And they're not a star, your astrology stars, mm. you know. It's actually this huge pull-out map to where all the stars live. And on these wide boulevards and on, and, and, and the, the Beverly Hills and Hollywood Hills, you can actually cycle up there and literally stop outside, as we did. And I think our first stop, and I was somewhat relieved because we were puffing and panting a little <laughs> over the jet lag, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a frequent cyclist. And he said, oh, the, the apartment on the left is currently on the market for four and a half million dollars oh. and it's called the love shack he said you know why he said because marilyn monroe lived there in in the uh, 50s okay. uh, right next to frank sinatra and then we'd cycle a bit further and he'd say oh you know um this is where uh, uh elvis presley lived for a while and then we stopped outside an immediately recognizable mansion in beverly hills which is where the Meet the Osbournes, the reality show, was 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 filmed and where the Osbournes lived for some time. And then th in this way, we sort of made our way up into a place called Greystoke Mansion, which I think something like 50 or 60 movies have been filmed there since the 40s. Sure. And it was built by one of the great tycoons 
of Hollywood uh, who has both uh, suburbs and streets named after him called Ed Duhenny. He was an Irishman uh, who came over and prospected oil, and his life, of course, was captured in, in, the, uh, in the, the film There Will Be Blood by Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't know whether you remember that. Yes, there was uh, actually, film. just just to go back to Do it's Duhenny Way or something, yes. it's, it's, it's a line in one of the Beach Boys songs. That, that when they're so? surfing USA or something, when they're naming all the places where yes. they're going, and Duhenny, is what, that's, it's in there. It's, it's one of the things in Isn't the one. It's so I know well the, recognized. I know the words to those songs quite well, and I remember ah. that. Duhenny but, Way is of one of the... LA is very much like that. Mm. Um, you, you, ev just about every corner or every street when uh, passing Laurel Canyon Drive, for example, I, suddenly uh, Mama Cass, uh, you know, young girls who go into the canyon kind of, you know, suddenly sprang into my ear or a Cheryl Crone number mm. on, on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. But the uh, Greystoke Mansion, which we walked around, which is set in these huge parkland grounds and built in the 1920s, still has the bowling alley, in fact, where one of the scenes was was set from There Will Be Blood, the Daniel Day-Lewis movie, and it's about the, the life of, of Ed, Edward uh, Doherty. But um, it's, it's, it seems almost like every corner you go around, you're going to recognize something from a movie you've seen. Because, you know, you, they use so many of the landmarks in the movies. Yes, they do, yeah. you know. Um, so I think it's probably one of the most mythologized cities in the world, L.A., um, and it's difficult to kind of separate life from art or from film anyway, that I think for the locals as well, they tend to recognize places in terms of what's been uh, filmed there. I noticed, for example, on Greystoke Mansions, they had these big wrought iron gates and I suddenly saw the signature of Richie Rich set oh, within really? them and he said oh yes they filmed Richie Rich there and the Witches of Eastwick um, Indecent Proposal The Social Network sure. Batman and Robin The Muppets Spider-Man I mean this sort of Italian style villa garden it's this, this sort of gorgeous faux uh, Tudor mansion apparently even has an underground escape tunnel where during the great parties of the 20s and 30s during Prohibition uh, Edward and his family you know would sort of flee with their guests down an underground tunnel to get away from all the booze that was being illegally consumed by the sort of Hollywood stars because LA was always somewhat of a sort of rebel city in, in America um, and apparently you can rent um, Greystoke mansions for about oh, right. $100,000 a day. Oh, one of those, uh, okay. Know, a mere, a mere okay. trifle. My, mere trifle, yes. And Rahana had thrown a big party. While we were walking around, in fact, there was a, um, a big uh, movie shoot going on there but uh, and uh, a something to do with Cinderella and the launch of the new um, Cinderella movie. Uh -huh. And then we also spotted and cycled past the Sierra Towers and stopped there where, where uh, Eric pointed out that Scher's penthouse that she'd everyone it's the thing to buy an entire floor oh, right and okay. he said oh her neighbors include you know the likes of elton john and you know but i don't think the doorman was about to let me in my <laughs> cycling shorts t-shirt and, and uh, crash helmet so, so basically uh, you don't actually get to see anything you just stand outside and gawk at the wall or gawk at the gate or something yes that's, yes and imagine that oh yeah. that's where angelina jolly mm. and uh, billy bob thornton once lived uh, so you either recognize it for a film you yeah. know uh, that you've seen there or, or from your favorite um style but um, in fact, apparently during a recent bike and hike tour, Starlet from uh, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which oh. is on DSTV, happened to be walking uh, literally in her garden and, and uh, for fun jumped on the back of one of the bikes. Her name was Lisa Vanderpump, and, um, which has got to be a stage <laughs> name. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, you know, you might actually spot someone in the, mm. in the, in the, in the real f flesh there. Well, I can't say I've actually watched any of that, so I wouldn't have known who she was if, you know, even if she had jumped on the back of a bike. Graham, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but we've 
kind of run out of time. Can you come back? <laughs> I think you see things slower when you're cycling. And Apparently, of these stories, it there's takes lots me more to chat to about. tell the story. But I'd love to. Thank okay, you. Okay, I Cara. think we're going to have to do this again. So um, we'll see Graham again soon. But Graham Howe was in, as as we've been saying, he was in Los Angeles. He is a writer for Intrepid Explorer Habitat and Getaways blog. He visited LA as a guest of British Airways, the London West Hollywood, and LA Eco Tourism Bikes and Hikes. And for more information, there's a couple of websites. It's either ba.com for that new airbus that he was talking about if you want to find out more about that or bikeshikes.com or the london west hollywood.com and graham will be back with us shortly well in the next week or so to tell us the rest of his experiences in los angeles and that's it for time to travel for this week i'm karen key thanks for joining me this evening and if you've missed any information you can find it on facebook travel on safm or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening with the Law Report when I'll be joined by attorney Ishmael Muhammad and we'll be talking property law, so join me then. Time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirkus.